Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Psachim, daf Zion, page 7. Today, I felt like we finally got to the real Pesach stuff. Prohibitions against chametz in a way that is practical, not that practical, but that is is a real discussion. The Gemara starts by talking about when on Erev Pesach, on that day of the 14th, when are you prohibited to own any chametz? And we know this as, you know, you check at what point can you finish eating chametz, at what point do you have to stop owning chametz, which is the time of beer chametz. And it's talking about the sixth hour. Now, you'll recall from Masechah Brachot that we're talking about Sha'ud Zmania, which means that you take all of the daylight hours and you divide them into, you know, from the morning till, from dawn to dusk, and you divide them into equal portions, and then you, and then of, of 12, right? That you should have 12 equal portions, and, and then you count to six, and six of those is, is the time at which the prohibition for owning chametz kicks in, which is the time of biur chametz. But this example, our Gemara continues in a way that is particularly interesting to me. The Amar of Gidol, Amar Bar Yosef, Amar Somebody who a man who tries to betroth a woman, what he's going to use to do so is a particular kind of wheat from the mountains. This is what's called cordonaita. And it's it's an interesting thing. It seems to be very hard wheat. So that the idea is that it could never even ferment if you put water on it, right? Water could fall on it. It would not become chametz. In no way, shape, or form was it going to become chametz. But somebody who would try to use this uh, this even this kind of wheat to try to um, as the as the item through which one betrothes a woman, right? Meaning the way you say um, we'll get to this in Masachah Kiddushin. I guess there's a lot of background information that I didn't quite realize on this pa- passage, but the idea that you uh, you say with this now usually we say ring with this ring I the wed, right? There has to be an item. So let's say that item here is this chita de cordonaita, ain the kiddushin, the Gemara says, this is not kiddushin, this betrothal does not take place, it does not take place because it's not worth, the that chita cordonaita is not worth anything because you're not allowed to own it, even though there's, it turns out that you're not really concerned that it's become chametz, and yet there's still a concern, it's still treated that way, that it's, you know, a concern of deriving benefit for the wheat. So we say, no, that does not count. And, <clears throat> Go find a different way to betroth your woman. But the point is, right? You, the whole idea of that. Once you, I'm sorry, I'm stumbling over myself. Once you have a prohibition against owning it, then we, then we negate the ownership of it, right? That's how we we say anything, any summits, the potential that we might have is null and void. We don't own it. It's no longer a thing, even. And so then the question is, what happens if you remember that you had leavened bread in your house, right? And you and you say, you, you render it null and void in your heart. But what would happen if that would already be chag? Can you still do that? And so all of these cases that we're talking about, they become very practical about this idea of making sure that you have no ownership of chametz. And to the extent that you can't do anything with that chametz, were you to discover that you, in fact, owned it? And then it doesn't really get into the fact that now you've got a pro, you know, what the what the prohibition of it is, you know, the fact that there's an iser karet. And then also very interestingly, but I don't want to get into it um, because in the interest of time, 
there's a whole big discussion of what happens if you have um, chametz is going moldy. Uh, chametz is going moldy, but what if you also have matzah in there and that's going moldy? And of course, that gave me pause because matzah, in my experience, doesn't go moldy, right? It goes, might get a little stale, but it doesn't go moldy. And the answer is, of course, and it's an important one, that for the most part, the matzah that they were talking about was soft as opposed to the cracker um, item that most of us have nowadays. The Yemenites and some other people have taken on, you know, go back to the soft. They're not going back. They've just always had the tradition of the soft. Um, okay. I think there's just one more bit, Yadin, and then I'm going to turn it over to you. In this discussion of the Biur Chamates, the question is, you know, are you so, what are you supposed to do? When, what's the procedure when you are negating, when you are burning your Chamates? And the Gemara says, well, you need a bracha. One who's searching for chametz, you need needs to make a bracha. What's the bracha? Rav Papa Amar Rava So he says you should to to burn to destroy chametz. Rav Papa Amar Rava Al Bior Chametz. He has a different formulation. Livaer versus Al Bior on the burning of. The concern is, are you making a bracha on using a formulation of something that you haven't yet done, which becomes a little bit tricky? And to do it, the implication, at least in Hebrew, or at least according to Chazal here, everybody agrees that the idea of to do it means it will happen in the future. So then where's the dispute on the formulation of al-bior chametz, and then there's a question of on the burning of, does that also carry that future activity that hasn't happened yet, implication or not? And so in the end, uh, so I'm sorry, not in the end, the Gemara then comes to bring all kinds of other formulations of brachot to prove which way we should go. But here, you're Dan, I'm going to turn it over to you. Um, so let me just comment about two of these things here. Um, in terms of that first case with the chametz and trying to do a kiddushin, you know, this to me is a typical example of, I think, a case that's not a real life case. But as you said, it's really trying to test the limits of, you know, what happens at that moment when sort of you cannot own chametz anymore and can that chametz do something for you at that moment? I, I just don't think it's like an actual case. It's it's really just testing a boundary. Um, oh, yes. I, I think you're 100% right. I'm sorry if I glossed no, over that. I, but I just think it's important to say, whereas I think, you know, a Reuben was very practical and we didn't see much of that. I think here, this is like a classic rabbinic example of sort of one of these outlandish cases but again, I think what you have to pick up on when you learn those is, you know, what is it that they're really trying to do? And I think you said it exactly correct, right? It's trying to say what happens at that moment when you cannot use chametz, when you can't own chametz anymore, can the chametz do anything for you, right? And so I think that's what that case is exploring. You know, this whole discussion on the staff, you know, to your second point about the bracha is actually very interesting. Um, you know, and especially because like brachot themselves, you know, they're not, the formulation is not from the Torah, but the idea that you have to make this, this bracha before you do any mitzvah and really paying attention to the language of it 
I, you know, I thought was very interesting. Like, I guess I just usually recite those brachot, but I never thought about like, was it in a future test or a future tense or past tense? Um, and it's interesting to see them work it through also with particular cases, right? Like with the case of Mila, the case of Tavila, the case of Shrita, like that maybe your formulation, the case of Lulav, your formulation actually should be different. And even those cases like with Mila, you know, where it says, well, if the father's going to do it, you probably should formulate it differently. I, I Yeah, the difference between Al-Bior versus Liva'er, Lim'ol, Al-Hamila, all of these, you know, there's such subtle, such subtle, uh, I don't know, formula. Listen, Hebrew's not my mother tongue. So the difference between here, it, it's possible to say, yeah, yeah, on the Mila, yeah, yeah, on the burning. I'm not sure that I would catch that difference in nuance were it not for the fact that the Gemara here is talking about the fact that there's a difference in nuance. Totally agree. And I, that sort of segues into what I wanted to read on Amud Bet which is also paying attention to language in a way that I thought was very interesting. So the Gemara here, you know, again, they're discussing about when you make the bracha for a mitzvah. And it says, Right? So it says, everybody agrees that you always have to say the bracha before you actually do the mitzvah. And then they say, from where do you know that? Now, Normally, we would expect there to be some type of pasuk that gets brought down here, right? Like they would quote some verse from the Torah, and that would show us you would make the bracha beforehand. Instead, they just come with a rabbinic statement that Rabbi Huda says in the name of Shmuel. So remember, we're talking about Amurayim here. This isn't even a Tanaitic statement, right? That all mitzvot, right, we, we, we give a blessing on them, and the language here is over la'asiatan, right? And then the Gemara gets into a fascinating discussion where it says, my mashma to high over lishna de actume, right? De actume, sorry, right? From where do we know that this word over means like bef- it's before language, right? Amar of Nachman bar Yitzchak to Amar Krab, by Arat Achimaat, Terach Hakikar, by Takushi, right? And so, what do they do to prove that the word over means ahead of or before? is now, but again, remember, this is a word that's used in an Amoraic statement, is now they bring a proof from Psukim, right? So first they quote this Pasuk from Shmuel Bet, Perak Yilchet Pasuk Gimel, chapter 18, verse 23, right, where it says, Achimaz, you know, uh, you know, he's, he's running, like he overran, he went in front of the Kushi, um, and Abaye Marmehacha, Abaye gives a, a different pasuk, and here it's from Bereshit, Paraklamid Gimel, Pasuk Gimel, chapter 33, verse 3. Avar right? He passed, he, he went before them. And then they said, Oh, we even have another pasuk for you. It's not even quoted by somebody. This is just the Gemara saying, and this is a pasuk in Micha. Parakbet Pasuk Yud Gimel, chapter 2, verse 13. Their king passed by Yavor before them, and God is at their head. I thought this discussion was fascinating. They're paying very close attention to a specific word that an Amora uses, and to prove what it means, they end up quoting Torah Shabbatav. I I just, I was like blown away by this. I thought this was a very interesting approach. 
And even if it was Tanaitic, I would accept it a little more. But Amorim, it's like it's it's far removed. I feel like, first of all, kudos to you for even noticing this. I don't know that it's an obvious, uh, you know, we hope Sukkim all the time to support things. So so why not here too? So I'm impressed and I think it's valuable and important to pay attention to the fact that that this is exactly the procedure that has just happened. And it's kind of, as you say, fascinating. Um, and then also, why is this different from all the other times that we quote Sukim to support anything. there, I think very often we talk about the difference between deriving halakha from Sukim versus using a verse, we've talked about this in the past, I think even in Bracho, as an asmachta, as a, to strengthen the idea, whichever idea but you're trying to put forth. this is different than an asmachta. And, it's not a real asmachta. Right. Yeah, that's what, are you right? I guess. That was me. I'm getting there. Like, it's not this and it's not that. So... It, it, it's I don't understand it. It's it's they're using like the Amora could have used Rabbi Yehuda in quoting Shmuel, like obviously they're paying attention to the fact, and we presume that when somebody says something in somebody's name, they're using their exact language. But the fact that Shmuel uses the word over, and there's nobody earlier than Shmuel to attribute this to, I understand why they say that. It makes sense that you would do the bracha before you do the mitzvah, right? Like if you think about it, it's like I think it gives a certain kavana to your action, you know, because you have to think about the bracha and then you focus on the action you're going to do afterwards. But again, he could have used a different word. And I don't know, maybe it's saying something that even when the Tanaim or Amoraim spoke, their use of Hebrew was even within a biblical context. I think that could well be true, especially in, in the Amoraim. But I want to read, I want, I see you when I want to raise, raise you. <laughs> How I, how is it? How is it that everybody accepted that this is the language of it, right? Nobody's coming and saying, "No, I want to call not over Lasiatan. Let's call it Bishiasu, Bishiase." I mean, I don't know. Again, but it, there's it's it's an accepted thing, and yet there's no discussion. Oh, it's Halach Lamoshimisina. We don't hear that this is the kind of thing that has no dispute. And yet there is no dispute. Right. Like this, you would think, could be a typical halacha l'moshimisinai, right? It's halacha l'moshimisinai. We make the bracha beforehand. So I, I don't have great answers to this. I didn't have time to look at commentaries or if anybody says anything. But I was personally very taken by this piece of Gemara. Um, I want to just wrap up today just with the ending here. Um, I don't think I'll read the whole thing inside because it's rather lengthy. But the whole concept of having to use the nair. Um, and first of all, they go through this very sort of, you know, long, I'll, ju I'll just read the, the intro to it. I won't read the whole thing, right? They say, Laor Haner, that's the quote from the Mishnah, Minahani Mile, right? Like, from where do we know this, that it has to be done by a uh, candlelight? Amarav Chisa Lamanu, right? Mitziami Mitzia, Mitziami Chipush, the Chipush Michipush, the Chipush Minerot, Binerot Miner, right? And so, he basically says, you know, we, we use it doing all of these, you know, again, these midot that we talked about yesterday of how we interpret Sukim by looking at words that are next to each other. And then he basically, but look how many words are used here. I mean, it's a, it's a whole series of words here. Um, and then, you know, they basically go through all of the different Sukim, you know, to link all of these words together. And finally, at the end, they come to the conclusion that you must have to search, you have to search, um, you know, by candlelight. 
But then at the end of all this, they come to uh, this very interesting um, uh, thing at the end. V'chitema. Hai ba'etaki kula. Hudika ama rachmana. Lo bedikna la birushalayim b'nahura. Da avuka dinafesh nahura tuva. Right? So it says, this pasuk that says at this time, right? Is, you know, that, the, and the, the pasuk there is, sorry, I should have, I should have had this. Right, the pasuk is ba'omer ba'erahi chafesh et et Yerushalayim ba'neirot. Right, that at this time I will search Yerushalayim with the uh, with lamps, and so it says here that searching it with a lamp. This is like so is a kula, right? It's something that's make out it's a leniency because what the, the what Hashem is basically saying to Ka'ama Rachmana, right? I did I won't search with you. Right, the Nahura, right? I'm not going to search with you by the light of the uh, Avuka, the light of a torch, because the light is too great, right? Nahura Tuba, it's it's too much light. Ella, the Nahura Deshraga, right? Instead, I'm going to use a small light. The Zutar Nahura Tapi, the Avan Raba, Mishtachech, the Avon Zutar, Lo Mishtachech, Toshma, Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam. Because why? Because if I use a smaller light, then only the great sins will be discovered and the small sins will not be discovered. Okay. Very, very interesting. Like, I feel like it just goes in a totally different way. And then at the end, they say, no, Toshma, right? No, the spirit of man is the lamp of God. In other words, saying that everything will be found by whatever type of light you use, right? And in other words, it doesn't make a difference if you're using a strong light or a small light. Hashem will see everything. I think that's what it's saying here at the end. So I, I just, I right, love. So this I just thought this was so interesting. Like it's taking it so literally, you know that. Um, uh, so I guess my whole point here, I'm just blown away by the attention to language. Like, and again, maybe some of this is my frustration that Hebrew is not my mother tongue, and certainly biblical Hebrew is really not my mother tongue. <laughs> but even to pay attention to it, like they come up with this whole nice linkage of all the language and the analogies and you land on Nair and it's nice. Okay. There's something special about using candlelight, but then they like even question that they're like, well, why would you use candlelight? Like it's a Kula, right? Hashem's not going to find the real sins unless you, you know, but this might've been something nice that Hashem did for us because you really need a torch to search for things. In the end, they're like, no, 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 this is light is light and you'll find it. You'll find what you're looking for. Well, I, again, I'm going to see you and raise you, which is as follows. We've just spent all this time talking about how careful you have to be to go to make sure that you've gotten rid of your chametz, right? Meaning these previous dapim have been talking about paying attention, using the spotlight, uh, you know, the contrast light of the candle. And now, you know, whatever you use, it'll be good. It'll be found. God will take care of it, which really, you, like, we're putting in so much effort to make sure that we eliminate, you know, the, the chametz that we, that we do our part to the degree that we can. And then we say a beetle, right. And, and at the end of the day, we really just could rely on God's uh, paying attention to any kind of light. It would be fine. It seems like such a, they're there. You'll do it. Okay. It's well, fine. I think that's why in the it end, it feels like it's the opposite of what's that's going why on. In the end, it comes to that conclusion because it's exactly that line of thinking. You'd be like, well, wait, I should be using a torch then to look for all the chametz, right? And then it's like, no, no, no. You find what you need to find 
with that type of light. Don't worry about it. Okay, I can hear that. Also, I think once people have become sufficiently neurotic, it is useful to say they're there, it will be okay. So I'm glad to hear that the Gemara itself does right. that. Right, the Gemara itself is almost giving a re- reassurance. But again, this this close attention to language and what it really means, whether it's with paying attention to a statement of Shmuel or even here, like just that the word ne'er, why would you search by ne'er? It's not the best, you know, for, for your sins. It's not the best type of light, even though that's clearly figurative, right? It's not literal. Um, it's just, it's, I think it says something special about how well they knew inside and out. Oh, for sure. And it's always daunting. It's very intimidating. Right. I also want to know Torah Shabbat inside and out. I'm not spending my time to do that. That's true. But I, right. it would so be to nice. go back to the Over one, which again, I, my mind is still blown by. I think that's exactly it. They just assume, like now that I'm talking it out with you, like I don't think this is shocking to them because I think they just assume, of course, Shmuel knew what the right word is because he picked a word from Torah Shavuotav. Right, right, right. That makes sense, right? They're talking in in code. It's not code to them, meaning they're just talking. But for us, the language that they're using, it signaled different things to them. And we have to just kind of watch and hope that we can follow along. Yes, exactly. And I think here is a great example of that. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about some of this coded language or, you know, the detail that they paid to Torsha Bechtav on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.